It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the sixth episode of the second season of HBO's Westworld. This one is called Phase Space. Now, you know a lot about Phase Space, Paul, or the concept of it in science fiction. What is this about? Well, the first thing that came to mind was multiple realities uh, and the fact that, not the fact, the idea that multiple realities could exist kind of side by side conceptually to each other, just being slightly out of phase from one another so that you don't perceive them because that's just the way we perceive time and matter and the way that things go on around us. But the idea is that other realities happen right at the same time in the same place. Very interesting. But let me read you a Wikipedia definition. Oh, please. In dynamical system theory, you know, that thing we talk about over dinner, Constantly. Every Sunday. When are we not talking about that? Dynamicals. Yeah. A phase space is a space in which all possible states of a system are represented with each possible state corresponding to one unique point in the phase space. So to me, a very, very layman with an art degree, this is speaking to the same idea of multiple things happening at the same time, kind of in the same place. Yeah, I really liked your analogy that you used with me, that it's like the same show is playing on a television set, but there are different points in the show on every channel. Yeah. Okay. And there could be like, I guess, some variation in the show. I don't know. Right. Like one could be like Technicolor. One could be in black and white. Well, one it's, could it's be... more like more like uh, in one, you know, man in black shoots six of the Mexican people. And then in the other one, he only shoots five, <laughs> you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, but taking it out of Westworld completely, it would be easier to understand it like at Christmas time when there's like different variations. There's like the, um, you know, the the live action version of this one or the, you know, whatever. And there's always variations, you know, in those stories in some different way where they take like a well-known story and they adapt it in some way. I think the most approachable definition, if you believe that multiple things happening at the same time idea, Mm -hmm. then this episode amongst all of them this season is the only one to really touch on everybody. So it's like it's giving us an idea of what the phase space of the show is right now. Okay, I like that. This was a complicated episode in that it was the first one to touch on all the different storylines. If you guys were counting, that's five different storylines. I did enjoy it as a reviewer and as somebody who does take notes and pays attention to all these different lines and had an, had an opportunity to like really think about it all and talk about it with Paul. But I really wonder about the average watcher who is just watching it for entertainment or enjoyment. If this was like a lot to take on and was it like very jumpy and, you know, just like dabbling here and there and everywhere. And all of a sudden it's like the next people like, was it entertaining? What do you think? Well, we talked to some friends about it and they drew comparisons to the way that Game of Thrones has been running. And I could see that logic in in certain episodes, but I also felt like it was jumpy. When I made when I made my notes for this podcast and I put together 
basically the the bones of what the scenes were on a character by character or character grouping basis. Several of them only have like two entries because they only had two scenes. If you think about it, you may not even realize it because you may think, well, Dolores did quite a bit, but actually she was only in two scenes, not right. ca- not and, counting that weird cold open. Right. And I guess I'm not speaking to like the idea of like it was so much information. I'm saying it was like so many different pieces of information from different storylines. It's almost like we're putting together a, you know, a, a gigantic puzzle. And I gave you like one corner, one center, one blue piece, one red piece. And it's like, well, that wasn't helpful. It's helpful when you give me like five edges or five red pieces. But it's really hard when you give me like one of all different types, you know, I, I can't really make any forward progress then. So I just wondered as the as the more casual viewer, if this was a fun episode or difficult. This of all of them, being that it showed all the stories, it didn't leave anybody out. You know, it showed all the stories. I feel like next week, I mean, the way this one ends, obviously things are changing, but next week, it's like they had to put all of these ducks in a row. In order for next week, whatever is going to happen next week, I think it's going to be something like, wow, I I might be totally wrong, but it's like they needed to get everybody, all their men in specific places. By men, I just mean like game pieces, not like, you know, men as a gender. And and that's why this episode existed the way it was, just fragmented, just to show us they did this, they did that, they did that, and then everybody's in the right place in the next week. Ba-da! Totally makes sense to me. Let's get into... Shogun World and Maeve and that entire crew, what they were up to. They had the most meandering of all the stories. We're going to be pretty concise with their story. We basically pick up exactly where they left off with Sakura had been killed and we're at the end of that nasty, bloody battle. Kana has to decide, like, what is she going to do? How is she going to handle this? And she she determined she's going to go over and remove Sakura's heart, which was pretty freaky bobiki for me. Pretty gruesome. I mean, the blood on her face and the everywhere. And they take it to this place that looks like the foothills of Mount Fuji, which I don't know how that could be. They're on this other island in the in the South Asia Sea. So uh, that's a heck of a simulation. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the main point of it was that they a Japanese funeral includes a wake, a cremation of the deceased, and a burial in the family grave. Now, this wasn't all going to be possible. They weren't going to be able to carry her body and do all this kind of stuff. And so they took her heart, you know, the the, the most you know, intimate part of her, of herself there. And they took it back to where they said was her home and they cremated her heart and, and had, you know, basically laying her body to rest back where she lived. Is there anything to read into that Maeve borrowed her sleeve? Like her heart was on her sleeve. I like all of that. I think that that's awesome. I think putting that together was, was fantastic. Now, what do you think about this duel, this Japanese duel? We needed some action. (laughs) <laughs> and we needed to kind of clear out the town. A- Akane had to had to go back to town and at some point, right? And she had they had to get the fighters back. That was the main thing. They had to get Hector and Armistice and Dragon Girl. They had to get them all back. Mm-hmm. And this was the best way to do it. And it introduced this recurring theme for this episode and probably this season, which is the right to choose your own fate. Choices and especially choosing your own fate. Maeve could have done her thought magic and made everyone just, you know, stop breathing, basically, if she wanted to. But she let Musashi challenge Tanaka for the honor of the the duel, 
and just let it play out because she wanted to let him have that choice, which is, you know, the argument that she made with Dolores when she when to let her pass back in Westworld. Right. Yeah. I think the idea of the right to choose your fate is like the key line that came out of the entire thing. I mean, of course, the idea of being able to doing that, that what do we call it? The um, oh, we learned it because of colony. What is the ritual suicide? Seppuku. Seppuku. So that idea of 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 dur- at the end of the duel, giving him the sword and giving him the right to basically create his own fate there. Like, do you want to be murdered in a duel or do you want to have committed, you know, this dignified, honorable suicide? Um, and so I, I appreciated that. And I do feel like that's basically what they're all fighting for across the board. Every single person in this entire thing is trying to be in control of their own fate. I think Shogun World is over for us. Yeah. Do you think so? I mean, we we parted ways. With Musashi and, and Akane. Right. They decided they were they were going to to stay in Shogun World. And, you know, they really addressed something that we talked about again in Colony um, in the previous episode was this idea of, you know, would you be willing to stand and defend your ground, even though, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of you were probably going to die and the, the surviving, you know, amount was going to be so minuscule or maybe even wiped out. Would you be willing to stand your ground and stay or would you flee? Musashi says yes. He's willing to stay. That's what he chooses. I thought that Musashi, you know, had a far more eloquent way of of putting it. But basically, it was the idea of the honorable person would stay to defend his land. Basically, have nowhere to run because ultimately you'll run out of places to run. You know, if if you're ultimately not willing to stand your ground, right? He's he stands for his principles. That's that's the idea. Why he left the world of the Shogun anyway became a Ronin. A Ronin is a masterless samurai. It's kind of an insult to call someone who was a samurai ronin it's like you don't serve anybody and, and that's what that's what they called him when they ran into him when the ah. samurais did they called him they said get out here ronin and and so oh. yeah so he you know i don't like that that's that sounds cruel i'll show you ronin exactly okay so were you surprised to see that armistices armistices i can't say her name were you surprised that Armistices. Oh, that's worse. How do we say it? Armistices. Are you surprised that Armistices' counterpart, Dragon Girl, as I have her in my notes, decided to come? I'm happy she decided to go because I feel like we needed to add some more bodies to our fight here. This crew, I feel like, is getting stronger and and having more experiences. The more that they grow, I think that the the more damage they can do. You know, they'll actually be successful in their missions. Well, if we're going to have Armistice on screen this much. It makes sense that we have a little more depth to her than just total kick-ass woman having this bizarre soul connection with this, yeah. you know, person that you don't even speak the same language. I think it could be really it cool. adds something very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they could be the type to almost be like identical twins or something where they like wordlessly are able to f- do some really cool fighting moves in the future where I like fully expected. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be amazing. All right. So we finally get to the pinnacle of Maeve's journey, which was finding her daughter. I was pretty surprised for whatever reason. I never expected her to have a new mom. I don't know what my problem was. I don't know why I didn't see that coming from a million years. But Maeve didn't see it coming either. No. So if Maeve didn't see it coming, I can't be that stupid. She's a smart lady who understands this world. That is one beautiful reveal, right? The camera coming around. Goodness. Yeah, that was something. These were unwoke. 
hosts, right? They haven't been I guess they're way out, so they haven't been close enough right, to any hive other mind, hive right? minds, right, to, to fully get the, the, the memo that, that they're We're freaking out. Right. <laughs> the freak so, out memo. So they're just still doing their their loops. Now what do you think about Ghost Nation showing up? How do you feel about what their behavior was and how they were like trying to just tell them to just come with them? We have been suggesting on this podcast that Ghost Nation has their own mission and that's why they're being killed by the other hosts and that's why they're trying to save people. But now they're trying to convince a woke host, Maeve, to come with them in addition to whatever else they're trying to do. So it definitely solidifies. They've got an agenda that is completely different than Dolores and Maeve and all that. And I kind of wonder if, like we were saying, it was Ford bouncing players back into the game board. Like later on in um, Bernard and Elsie's section, we'll mention that Elsie notices that this artificial intelligence called the cradle is like actively preventing people from trying to fix it. You know what I mean? Yes. So that kind of suggests that it can do other stuff too. I think it absolutely can. And I mean, you know, we've discussed this whole time who we thought was in the cradle and what was up, but let's, let's finish up with Maeve here. So this other woman is there I did not know what was going to happen with her. I was actually pretty surprised that Maeve allowed her to get snatched up there by Ghost Nation. I thought there would be more of an a an attempt by that group as a whole to try to save any of these hosts who had been, you know, still in the naive zone that we'll call the homestead. I was kind of disappointed with that. My mind's fuzzy. My notes are bad. What was the ultimate fate of Maeve's daughter's new mom well i mean they kind of left her i thought with just sort of being grabbed up by by ghost nation and we kind of left her oh, i thought hector and the gang showed up and shot all those guys i don't think they got all the guys okay i mean i think that there was you know there were definitely some of them were i mean the one got all the way to mave so you know they didn't shoot all of them i knew hector was not gonna listen to that bullshit do you think it was even a good idea for her to tell them to stay back or it was why? a horrible idea what was the point horrible idea it was it was, it was like she felt like she needed to do it on her own like uh a, a, a personal discovery sort of thing i don't know but i agree with you you go with your gun hand when when it's like that, you know, people are shooting everybody. And it would be really helpful if there started to be somewhat of understanding beyond like the initial moment, meaning she understood better about how communication works in the moment. But you'd think that she'd start to understand like every time we come across someone new, it seems like it takes them a minute or two to catch up with all of us. Like I seem to have to like, like engage with their brain and then bring them up to the reality of what's going on. Since the revolution, there has been no peaceful places that Maeve has visited. They've exactly. all either been immediately threatening or just got done being very threatening. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just called learning, Maeve. I mean, we do it as I humans. don't want to be a jerk to Maeve because she's been wonderful, but it's just like she's learning so much. You would have thought that there would have been somewhat that she would have been like, well, my daughter is not likely to be as woke as I am, you know, mm -hmm. given all that she's been through, which I do want to say, I did appreciate that they- did like a really cool like montage using her outfit 
her costume mm-hmm. um, to show like like that upper part, like the white part really looked like her prairie dress. And then it was corseted. And that looked so much like her, um, you know, Mariposa costume. She had on like, like this black jacket and stuff like it was all like it was like all a mishmash of all the outfits she had worn before. I just really liked it. I thought it was such a visual cue that she is now like carrying like all these different experiences to this to the table now. Now. I was shocked about Sizemore using this radio. What the heck? My idea is that he is along because he's being forced to come along. He has some scientific interest in what's happening with Maeve, but really he's looking for an opportunity for self-preservation and he found one. He stole the radio last week. He and the other humans got put on body shoot duty, which by the way, could there be a worse thing than a body shoot? The last week was when he found the radio. This week is when he used the radio. Right. I guess I'm just surprised it took that long to use the radio. Like, what do you think the holdup was? Opportunity, maybe. I mean, he was well away from the other, uh, the hosts when he used it. And mm. out of the people he was with, maybe Felix would say, what are you doing? But Sylvester would be like, you've had a radio <laughs> this whole time. No shit. <laughs> what did you think about the the body shoot, the dead shoot here? Highly practical, very gross. So it just turns out to be, you know, like in Clue, it's like the secret passage between one spot to another. What's the name of that show that that girl who's uh, a sister of someone you used to know from Massachusetts? What's that show? It's like a vampire show. Oh, Van Helsing. Is that is it? Is that it? Oh, God. If you hadn't said anything, I probably would have said something. Yeah. There's a body. Kelly sh- Overton is the girl. There's a there's a body shoot in that that figures into the plot kind of immediately. And it reminded me of that. And it was also gross because, you know, there's always like blood streaks and goo and stuff. <laughs> goo. Goo the- is worse. Blood, you know what blood is, but goo, oh, goo is just freaky. And it's always metal. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The shoot of course. Mouth. It's like chrome. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's easy to clean up. Stainless steel. Yeah. Gross. Well, okay. So our entirety of our Shogun Maeve experience, finding her daughter, everything, feels very, like, wrapped up. Like, a lot of the things that have been this long-standing, we're plodding along, plodding along, plodding along, we're, like, there now. She's ready to go. She's ready to get back I think she is. Now, do you think her daughter is going to go along with this whole, like, let's bail? Is she going to be like, where's my mom? Well, you know... I'm she uh, no, the girl is not going to really be be very willing to understand the idea that Maeve used to be her mom. I mean, why (laughs) would you? (laughs) I wouldn't. And in fact, I'm a little nervous that we might get a little Teddy Dolores, Teddy Dolores action. A little reprogrammez-vous? Well, I mean, Teddy keeps saying, you know, this stuff like, oh, we could just get a tent and go further away. And Dolores can only take that so long. How long will Maeve be able to take the daughter being like, you're not my mom. You're not my mom. How many times is she going to be able to say that before Maeve's like, you know what? I think I'm going to need to try to adjust your settings. That'll be a real test because she's the one who said, I believe it's up to us to choose our own fate. And then so if she does reprogram her daughter, that would be quite a uh, deviation from that previous policy. I think it's got to be foreshadowing that it's like the person you love the most in your life isn't acting the way you want them to. So you reprogram them. So Mm. then what? Question, question. Question, question. Moving on to the person you love most in your life. We have the man in black and Emily slash Emily Grace. 
We don't know what to call her. There is a theme that began in the cold open that continued in this segment in particular of not knowing who the hosts are at some level. Right. Because there are people that we have been assuming the whole time have been human, but maybe they're hosts. Maybe I they're hosts. honestly feel like Man in Black. I I mean, come on. Doesn't that's going to be like this awesome this irony. If that's discovered that he's been a host the whole time and he's been so brutal to the hosts and he doesn't even know it. It's, it I mean, that'll be a real delicious moment. I just feel like happens. he has to be a host. Like, I just feel like he honestly has to be a host because the entire portion here of him explaining back to Emily, that conversation in general was so weird, right? I mean. Emily saying, like, I finally got to use the pleasure pass. Like, Ugh. Yeah, so, she rode her way around the palace or whatever oh she said. Oh, my God. That was so much. But then when he's like, yes, I remember you were you were terrified of the elephants. And she's like, no, I love the elephants. Mom didn't like the elephants, was scared of them. I felt like, huh. Yeah. I don't feel it's possible that the original, if this was really him, the human him, that he would have gotten that wrong. You know, the way that this game is constructed for him to get through, it's almost like he is the one shot to get it right or get it wrong. You know, it will true artificial intelligence ever work? He is the one test case, not Dolores, not anybody else. It's him, but he has to go through this and prove it. Well, in do order you remember that he said there's multiple contenders in this game? So it's not that no Dolores isn't it, no Maeve isn't it. Yeah, no, they're all contenders, but we don't know which one. Is it that you came from artificial intelligence all the way? Is it possible that no, if you're a hybrid, a human host hybrid, you're the hope of the future? Like which one of these things will be it? We don't know. They're all going for the same thing. So no, I think that I think that because of this cold open where they have this whole fidelity test where Dolores has Arnold do his whole reciting thing and she shuts it down and said, nope, that's not what he said. To me, when he got it wrong, Men in Black got it wrong. To me, that was like, nope, that's not what he said. This was a fidelity test. You're starting to fail. Mm -hmm. And he bailed. Right. Uh, it was like he gave her um, a little alcohol to encourage sleeping and then got up before she did with the rest of the gang. Now, I have to say, I did actually very much enjoy the conversation between the two of them. What did you think? I think it was real. I think what I got out of it was a couple things that that they had parted badly and she took the initiative to try to salvage their relationship. I don't know what her ultimate motivation is, but I, I'm going to pick an altruistic one and just she doesn't want to have a shitty relationship with her dad. Well, the what she said, I think, was right on where she said, you don't get to choose that this is the way it ends, that the last thing I said to you basically was something shitty. Like, you don't get to choose that. Like, we're going to go back and we're going to work on this relationship because I've already lost my mom and I'm not going to have the last thing I said to my father be something crappy. No, like, you don't get to tear my heart out and have that be the, the, the lasting memory I have of you. But all of this makes me feel very much like, remember the whole conversation that about that if you're still looking forward, you're looking the wrong way. This was him and his daughter making amends. I mean, they ended this conversation with him not going with her. That doesn't really matter that he didn't go with because they went to sleep that night with her being like, well, this is a good start. 
You know, like we, it may not be a hundred percent of a relationship, but you know, I, I'm we're both in a better place now. Well, specifically, the good start was he expressed his intention to burn the place down, and she expressed a pretty good amount of contempt for for Westworld in the first place. So, oh, very much so. So, and she, that's where she said that that's a good start. That because uh, I think it covered everything, like kind of pulling him out of his fantasy world. His that, whole line, though, he said, if I head to the beach and I let this place finish, burn behind me, can we be even then? There we go. Yeah. So it's that whole line that that he would go with her. Is that what's going to make the good start? So it's not just he can't stand in there and burn it and die in there. He's got to be willing to leave and do all that. I it also, makes sense that you wouldn't take her then if you plan on being in such a dangerous place. It does make sense that you'd leave your daughter behind, even though she proved herself to be Way more capable than half the bozos on his team. I think that I think that what was supposed to happen happened. It wasn't about leaving her behind. What what was supposed to happen there was the conversation with his daughter. It was the it was the closure between him and his daughter. So now he can move forward. He like it's like that was like a that was like a challenge unto itself. He mm. like closed that castle, that level. Okay. He managed to say the right things and do the right things and make amends with his daughter. And so he was allowed to move on. He could continue the game without she didn't she didn't know to need to go with her and she didn't need to go with him. That wasn't the next part of the game. It was all about just making amends with her. I loved the line she used when she said, I'm not gonna allow you to do what you're doing. So suicide by robot. Yeah. Suicide by robot. That line is like OMG, Paul, that could be like a genre of literature or movies or TV shows all by itself. Because there are so many different ways that people really end up using machinery to end their own lives. Mm -hmm. So many different ways. What do you think? Intriguing concept. Yeah, it, it, it's it's throwing uh, a... God damn, it was, it's just a, it's a faint synapse of a story that I read one time where there were characters whose job it was to, they, they were killers, like uh, contract killers, right? But you hired them to kill you. So it was kind of like suicide, but you hired somebody else to do it for you. I think there's a whole... But it was like they had to do it within a contract explore. time, and it was and it was like a very official thing. It wasn't it was it wasn't like they were going to get caught by the government and be in trouble for having this job. You know what I mean? It was like that kind of suicide was okay. It was that, in fact, kind of a little game. It's super weird, but I think super interesting. And I wonder if moving forward, especially with this idea of immortality or people living longer or all that stuff, like we talked about this idea of like, well, so did people go crazy when their brains lived past 30, when the life expectancy became 40 or 50? No, I guess not. But what if there is a limit? To where people are like, I like truly forget about the fact that you can keep replacing my body's parts. My brain can't handle the amount of experiences I've seen, the amount of time that has gone by, the amount of people that I've lost. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I've had five different families, you know, along the way. I've married and had children. I've watched everybody die all over and over and over again. And I am spent. You know, like, is that going to be possibility? I don't know. It's so wild.
I I read a lot of science fiction that says definitely it will be, and I do enjoy those stories, but they can be hard to keep up with sometimes because it's just like anything's possible. Ghost Nation once again pops in on the scene to do whatever this control efforts mess that they have to do. They're not counting on the daughter. I bet the daughter, she seems to know their game. She's escaped from them once. So, you know, she's probably going to show up at the spot they were they were taken, look around and say, like, Ghost Nation was here. <laughs> is, it, is it possible? Do you, do you think that Emily Grace was was um, was a host or is a host? Is it possible? Mm. I mean, was she just put in there for him to make amends with his quote unquote daughter and then he can move on? Or is she definitely real? And then the reason why he left now, somehow she's going to be extracted from the park in some way. I don't think she's definitely real. She survived something very traumatic, you know, uh, being pushed off a cliff by a tiger into deep water and then a long swim. Yep. We know that hosts can just be turned back on regardless of the fact that they may have sustained fatal human damage mm-hmm. and the the part where she tested her lover to see if he was a human she didn't offer to test herself so it makes it like ah, good call makes it like more like she just wanted to she was she wanted to turn the tables on humans and have sex with one of them as if they were the whore basically ah, you know what i mean very twisty mr daly yes i like it i that very makes much her like it a higher level post i mean but certainly something that ford could have put in place you know along we know the that way. he was making hosts like crazy absolutely last season so i don't know we'll we will see what happens come next but i think that it is fair to say that because it might be her misremembering the elephant thing not him you know what i mean i don't know that's probably the only thing that actually leads me to believe that maybe she is real and he's not. But I mean, she was confident about it because like, that's how young people argue with old people is like, no, no, I have the better memory. It's for sure. And the old people are like, well, okay. And that's kind of that relationship. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you haven't quite convinced me with that yet. But for sure, that's where we're leaving Man in Black. We have this sitch now where he is hung up with the Ghost Nation. Somehow that's going to change his direction, I think. I don't know what exactly they're going to do, but they're obviously here to control the game in some way. Maybe they're going to say something. How the other one showed up with Maeve and ended her story with come with me kind of thing. You yeah, know? yeah. I don't I mean, both of those stories ended in very, very similar ways. What does that mean? I don't know, people. We're just watching the show like you. Right. Just trying to figure it out. Especially the one the one scene that actually threw me for a loop is the cold open. Having the, the wrong thing in your memory. Yeah, okay. We see this, basically a reenactment of a classic Dolores Arnold scene. We've seen it before. We've seen it earlier this season. We see Dolores take control of the conversation and shut down who we now know has to be Bernard reenacting Arnold. So does that, in your mind, call into question any of the other instances of that conversation that we have seen? I don't know. Does it? It does to me. Go ahead. I'm just flummoxed. I don't know what's real and what's what's not. Maybe clearly the one where she tells him to stop because he got it wrong. Okay, that's Bernard. But now it's like they're introducing a wild card into the, you thought you knew when you were seeing Arnold and you thought you knew when you were seeing Bernard. Now you don't get to know that. And the other question I had about this scene is, when the hell does it take place? Because it's not in sequence with the rest of these things. I don't know. I mean- I think it's got to be- 
I think it's got to be tied in to whatever final action Bernard takes that that washes out a bunch of the the hosts at what we assume to be kind of quote unquote the end of the season. Okay. I think he and Dolores are going to have some meetup and she is going to create this scenario somehow. And it's going to fit into that later part of the timeline. I don't think this was just some sort of like dream or, or something like that. Cause the hosts know about dreams, but they don't actually dream. That's, that's still true. I think at okay. least it used to be true. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to, I, I, my brain is very fried. I told you with these, all these additional storylines and all these different things. I mean, I was doing very good for a very long time, but five different storylines. Plus now you're saying the cold open. I wasn't even trying to place that in time. So really six. We're lucky that the other five all were taking place pretty simultaneously. We be- we be- No, I, I don't even know because I feel like the. I think so. Okay. Okay. So, so in that case, because we were given the exact time, because Hale said this has been going on for a week, blah 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 blah. blah we yeah. know we are like at day like seven of fourteen. Yes, roughly seven or eight of fourteen. Right. So yeah. good to know because obviously you know we're about halfway, which is about right because we are at episode six. Right. So yeah. that's on track for what we're doing here. All right, let's get into what Dolores and the gang were up to with Teddy. I hate new Teddy. I feel like Teddy is... They went too far. Yeah. I I guess the little romance part, that's definitely over. He's not interested in anything related to that. He seems like he is extremely resentful. Here's the deal. All the other times when they have changed gears on people, like raising their levels and doing stuff, those people tend to have been, when I say people, I mean hosts, um, they were like being recalibrated at that point in time. You know, Maeve came in and like changed the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but they were already in that like wipe their brains, do the recalibration, put them back out there, like transition. Teddy was awake for all this, you guys. So there's no like he doesn't remember who he was. Yes, he does. It was just yesterday. And he knows what happened to him, which is completely different than all the other hosts that have been like manipulated with those elevations. So you, you think know? he still has the loyalty from when he loved her? No, no, no. Her, no, no but... he doesn't. No. But he can remember who he was. Ah. His stuff is not wiped. The way he kept saying like, but you fixed me now. Yeah. I, he's not saying that in a good. I mean, he's saying that like condescending. Like, I know who I was and you grabbed me up in the night and changed changed all my settings. He remembers everything. This is... I know it's coincidental, but, you know, that's what you say when you have a dog spayed or neutered. I got him fixed, right? Yes. <laughs> but same, even same in that case, idea. there's like amnesia and stuff. Uh, not amnesia. There's anesthesia involved. This... I mean, Paul, Teddy was awake and alive and lucid for when all of his systems were being changed. And I think that there's some amount of like, I mean, it was like abuse to him, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and he can't, you know, what is he supposed to do? Like, can you please put me back? Like, I mean, it's so he's not particularly loyal because of current feelings. He remembers being loyal and they may have put some sort of directive in him that 
this is what you're doing now. I think that he's so aggressive and he has like this single-minded, here's what we're going to do, like assassin style. And she, you know, made him to where he's still going to be like following her lead and everything. Mm -hmm. Loyalty, I think, is a twisted word in this case because I think you're using loyalty meaning like love and caring and that kind of stuff when you meant loyalty before, like that kind of biz, where now I don't think that it's coming from love or caring. I think it's coming from forced devotion via the setting changes. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean so, by loyalty is that he's not just riding off. I mean, if he wanted to leave, with the exception of maybe Dolores, no one could stop. I mean, yeah. I, I believe they I believe that he right. was Westworld's ultimate gun gunfighter. Right. And now they but he had a code and some warmth before. And now that's all gone. I think he was like the white hatted sheriff type before, even though I had hesitate to use the white hat because I don't want to I'm not don't get involved with that. I know it's that's doesn't have to be white but the point of like he's like a stereotype and now if you think of him think of him like an assassin who works for the same organization but you're never going to get the same feeling from an assassin as you do the you sheriff, know, the right, sheriff right. who is like doing it out of caring for the town and wanting them to be safe that's very different than just like accomplishing your mission mm -hmm. and he's like in accomplishing your mission mode that train scene where he well first of all like we have to talk about that tech on the train platform oh yeah he just blows him away he's like wow you just took too long to answer and wow i'm getting impatient that was wicked and then the tech on the on the train with the single bullet who had been helpful I mean, I guess maybe if he was the one that reprogrammed you, you wouldn't really feel all that interested in saving his life. But overall, he'd been very helpful. He'd been reprogramming other people along the way. So, yeah, I gave him one bullet. The easy, easy way out. So, and again, very assassin like. Like, here's a gun, here's a single bullet. <laughs> and he's like, hurry up. Ah. They were running that train off the rails. Did you see? Did you yes, notice how fast it was so going? So fast, yes. It wasn't just a leisurely chug, 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 chug. No, it was, it not was like the really, previous life. Really going. We kind of predicted that there was going to be something having to do with the train. I, I think one of us might have said something about sending it back into the mesa. Yeah, back pretty, into the welcome center. That seemed like a obvious. Definitely going to happen with it. And that's what they did. Which was amazing. I, I didn't really know if it was going to actually blow in there or if something was going to somehow mess it up before it got there. I think the great thing about uh, steam engines crashing them into things is obviously that they're under immense pressure. Mm. So they make pretty reasonable bombs if when, when they go, right? Wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk about who else was in that Mesa. Hale and Stubbs totally uh, showed up in this storyline. Yeah. If you, if I mean, it seems like forever ago that they kidnapped Abernathy from the Confederado fort, but like years ago, this it is seems the like. aftermath of that. And apparently Crazy. no one else survived. There was some off screen gunfighting that got the other little helpers killed. I not, think. not surprising. And so everyone's hair's all disheveled and Abernathy is a mess. What did you think of their method for keeping him put? Oh my God. First of all, when he said, when Hale ordered the guy to make him permanently not be able to walk, I thought they were just going to cut off his legs. So that scared the bejesus out of me. Because he came from like a tray with all kinds of tools. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Well, the way that he started manipulating his feet, I just thought 
he was going to take it literally and like just cut off his legs at the ankle or whatever. Like very like misery. I mean, mm. if, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen or read Stephen King's misery, but that's what it made me think of. And I was cringing and so scared of what I was going to see. I didn't see that nail gun bolt thing for a mile away. Like I never saw that coming. I never, that is not what I thought was going to happen at all. What's that bolt gun doing in that room? I mean, I don't know. What else does that do? I mean, it seems like that's for building skyscrapers. (laughs) I can't imagine what the hell you do with that. But okay, here's my only question mark. The only time I've ever seen anybody nailed to anything is only one guy. Jesus, right? So are they trying to equate Abernathy with anything in the religious world? Is there anything that we're missing? Listeners, I'm going to ask you guys because we did not do any research on this, but I do really feel like there's something about the fact that they nailed him to the chair and the way that Abernathy is like, I don't know, almost like patient zero or the originator of much of this stuff that I feel like I'm like, he's the guy with like all the answers but he's like being rejected. It's like not working. I don't know. I There's something I feel like you could probably draw some parallel. I do not have the uh, the parallel for you. I but do not have the brain power to figure it out. There's something about Dolores seeking him. There's something about the the need to save. Do you remember how they compared Dolores's dress and the color of the blue? To and Alice in every- Wonderland? And I do think you can see it in other religious things where they definitely put Mary in that same blue color and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. There's something about seeking him. I don't know. The whole thing, there's just something there. I don't I don't have it, you guys, yet. I don't know it. But when, you know, two years from now, people are like, hey, there was a religious thread that was like, well, and I'm going to be like, yep, I kind of felt that vibe. It, it was in there somewhere. Who the hell is this Coughlin guy? He is in charge of the badasses that Delos is dropping in to save the day. I have a kind of a question mark in my brains about these people. If if Delos is this company and it's got this park that requires constant round the clock attention for programmers and the body butcher guys and the story people and all that shit, right, to keep the machine running 24 hours a day. Wouldn't you put your best guys there to run that operation if you were if you were Delos? I mean, it makes sense. So then who are these badasses that they're airdropping in that are pushing the existing staff out of the way so that they can set things to rights because they've screwed everything up with their shenanigans? I can't imagine who they are. Seems like they'd be the B team, wouldn't they? Coughlin did not act that way. No, he did not act that way. So Stubbs is sidelined. He will not have a man named Ashley running shit while he's around. I got to think that. Well, but maybe this is again sort of in that Ashley is the sheriff. Coughlin's the assassin. You know, like everything just got ratcheted. It's more like he's the sheriff and and Coughlin is, is like an army guy that just showed up and declared martial law. Okay, we'll go for it. I was trying to use our previous analogy to our previous characters. Well, I borrowed. It's cool. I was just trying to do that. But my main thing is just that I feel like everything like ratcheted up. If you had to say like there's multiple storylines and they're all in different phases here or phase space, however you want to say, I do feel like they, everything ratcheted, like just went up for this. Agree. Now, how much damage do you think that train did? I mean, those people acted shocked. They did manage to get the map up. So, hey. 
they were better off than some of the other staff who couldn't get that map. I think the train might have made a mess of wherever it hit. So the Welcome Center, it didn't blow up the Mesa. It couldn't. I don't think it could do that, but it could it could make certain levels unusable for a while if they've like if it's like tear, torn down say walkways or infrastructure or something like that i mean it could maybe weaken the entire building cuz you know it's a building underneath it there. would be super interesting if it just imploded right like if it if uh, crushed it, in on itself right right that's what i'm saying right i like that well i mean that's like an ultimate way to end something right if the whole thing just sort of like fell into itself that would yeah. be kind of cool. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Interesting. All right, well, let's f- finish up with our final storyline of Elsie and Bernard. They were woven a little bit throughout here, and boy, did they have a lot of info. How did you understand the cradle? I thought they did a really good job, actually, of explaining it. And if you didn't have an opportunity to watch the the behind the scenes, Jonathan Nolan explained it really well. Like he said, if cold storage was where the body goes, the cradle is where their minds go. So it's basically like when the host copies and their loops get stored there's like this server room and they when they were designing it they said that they specifically they specifically chose to use a water cooling system rather than how normal server rooms use air and which is very noisy um they decided to use water because they also wanted it to have that effect that everything was being drowned Mm. weird right yeah Super weird. Here's a couple of other little nuggets from that, which we can discuss as we move into this next portion. They said that that using all these new labs, we basically realized that um, inside the cradle was thousands of brains were alive in there. And he calls those little memory ball things, he calls them pearls. And the whole concept was, what happens when we lose one of those pearls? He said that it, what it basically is is a 3D duroplastic device and that it represents not only their brain, but also their soul. It's like Makes everything sense. is yeah. in there. And he said it, it was interesting if you guys get an opportunity to look at the behind the scenes. They actually deconstructed what a what one of those head parts look like and how it has like, you know, there was like the circle part, the kind of sockety part, whatever. It was really interesting. And he, I I think it was cool to see because of everything that happens with Bernard and offering up his head basically in this cradle situation. Now, what did you understand about the cradle without the benefit of the behind the scenes? I believe that it is the artificial intelligence that's running the whole thing that it is, but the whole thing, I mean, the park, the way the the hosts interact with each other it's it's the whole thing and so uh instead of just being a a simple like server room where they're where they're, the hosts have been uploaded and just kind of sit on a drive i could imagine this being something a little more akin to a virtual environment where they where they actually get to exist as opposed to just being stored. Does that make sense? So maybe it keeps their minds active until they need them again. Kind of like the matrix. <laughs> so I, I, I think the, ma- the, the cradle is, is many things 
and they can kind of use movie magic to do that. They can make it whatever they want it to be. Like when Elsie says someone, it seems like the cradle is actively blocking QA's attempts to fix it. Well, that's one thing that it's not just a, a storage facility. It is, it is intelligently doing things. We learn later possibly how it's doing those things, but I suspect it's doing them under its own steam partially at least which is why uh, what leads me to think that is when bernard quote-unquote goes in which had a very it wasn't even figuratively in he was in the system i thought that was kind of cool right they dropped his little brain ball into that slot kind of what did you think of that actual process and the fact that you know they they made sure to have elsie say i don't have time to turn down your pain um, you receptors, know, yeah, receptor, and 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 all that, and I appreciated that Bernard said it's just that's just a program. Like, how aware is this guy? I wonder if he had an idea what to expect in there, and wh- that's why he was so much of an in a hurry to get there because he wanted to see if he was right, see his friend, see get some answers about what the F is going on here. You know what it reminded me though of a spoiler alert. If you have not watched stranger things, just fast forward for about 30 seconds to a minute. It reminded me of the whole idea of like having to go in to the like belly of the beast, you know, Hopper Mm. and 11 having to actually lower down into it in order to actually get to it. Yeah. I feel like that was really a lot of what this was about was this idea of, they could continue to try to attack, you know, via like killing each individual host or whatever, but it was so dynamic and able to change its course and able to rewrite things internally that is like we have to like almost like shrink someone and put them into it. You know, that's what they would do in another sci-fi movie. But in this case, they have these pearls. They can put Bernard slash Arnold's pearl into it and he can actually now work from the inside. Mm hmm. Where he finds kind of what I suggested, which is Westworld in virtual form where everybody has the opportunity to run their loops without being molested. <laughs> so that's what they were all doing. It was like it was like Westworld in its pristine form. Nice. Okay. I like that. Except for one thing, right? The piano player. They didn't have a player piano in this oh. version. They had a highly unexpected person playing piano <laughs> well as soon as i saw the dog i knew who the player was well, as soon as i saw it was blurry they had a nice depth of field when he came into the to the bar yeah and you could see a white-haired guy playing piano oh you did yeah i was like I, I got I you. you okay well so if you guys don't remember that dog that was ford's dog from when he was a child and um so as soon as but he had killed him and so in different various loops uh that dog was dead um, and we've consistently seen that dog being dead so to have that dog laying at the foot of the piano player alive was like, mm, you know who that dad boy is? Ford. I loved seeing him. I thought that that was so amazing. What a twist. The whole time we've been hearing that, you know, he was, Anthony Hopkins was not coming back. Um, you know, we weren't going to see him anymore. And here he is. It's funny, like when they showed him in his in his office last season, he didn't play the piano himself. 
he had a host whose job was to sit there and play piano when he came into the office. That was that is a recurring theme. Do you know that? Do you remember Clementine was playing the piano when they were doing Logan's like walkthrough party? Remember mm-hmm. Clem was, and then Dolores was playing the piano at mm-hmm. the retirement party. And you're right, Ford always had a piano playing host in there like that's a it's an interesting i mean obvi like i mean we have the piano playing in the opening credits but i think they do a nice job of continuously weaving that in maybe you didn't even notice that viewer maybe you didn't even pay close attention that they keep doing it a lot i am very very excited to have ford in play now i want him so bad i didn't know how much we missed him we only made it basically six episodes without him paul that's all well, he unleashed quite a bit, uh, and I and I I wouldn't be surprised if his his reaction was something like "You got here earlier than I thought you would," or something like that. Really, you know, like I bet you he doesn't say that. Even if he thinks that, even if he thinks that, he's going to say "Right on time" or something like that because he's <laughs> just got to be cooler than that, right? Yeah, yeah. He can't possibly say that. Yeah. I am so intrigued by where they're going to go with this. This is the best that he is coming back. I know that there's so many fans who are like, yes, yes, yes. I put this little um, gif on our daily review if you're on Twitter, D-A-L-E-Y review. And it's obviously it's like a behind the scenes shot of um, Jeffrey Wright and Anthony Hopkins. And they're clearly doing a scene. But that what happens is that sort of in character uh, Jeffrey Wright does like a fist bump to Hopkins and he he does it back. But when he does it, he like can't help it and like starts laughing, you know, because it's like <laughs> ridiculous, um, you know, so it's clearly between shots, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like he stayed in character in a way. I don't know. Go check that out. I know Westworld GIFs are like super duper funny. You can check them up on Twitter as well. So like I said, I expect something amazing. This coming Sunday, I have no predictions about what it's going to be, but I just I expect to be like, wow, I'm you know, you guys, you you guys need to know because and we try to be honest with you guys. If we have screeners or if we've ever watched ahead, we do not have screeners for Westworld um, and we didn't we have not watched ahead in any way. So the fact that a couple of episodes ago, I told you guys that I thought we should start paying attention to the cradle and that the cradle seemed to me to be coming to importance. I would like you guys to say, hey, that daily review really has their head on straight. We have no inside loop. <laughs> we've got nothing for any information. And I feel really happy that they really went to like great detail explaining to us what the cradle is. And it turns out that probably this a lot of this fight is going to be had in the cradle. You know, it's going to be done in there. You know, mm-hmm. here's the other thing. And if you watch Handmaid's Tale... I use this uh, this analogy already, but I'm going to use it for this. Hand that rocks the cradle, hand that rules the world. Whoever's in the cradle, whoever wins in the cradle, taking over the cradle, is going to be the one who is going to rule the world. Because I think whomever figures out this host hybrid human situation and can control the cradle, they have the entire world at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. Crazy how all these shows we watch pull together. Clearly, we have a type. <laughs> Maybe they all have the same cafeteria. You Maybe know. we just keep like finding the same things in every show. I don't know. We've seen a lot of shows. We're crazy. Now. We're crazy like that. Well, thanks you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys appreciate this. 
We are going to be continuing on SMS radio Monday through Friday. You can listen to all of our friends. Us specifically on Mondays and Wednesdays. We're probably moving to what? 8 p.m. Eastern from 7 p.m. Eastern. So that gives you a chance to watch your favorite primetime TV shows live, the most important time to watch them, and then tune into the radio show to listen to our witty banter. Thanks so much for listening. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.